Hey, how was that time of praise and worship? Huh? Wasn't that amazing? Just fantastic. I was thinking while we were worshiping about uh, when the gospel was first preached here in Kaitaia, and I think it wasn't that far away from this very point, and just the amazing work that God has done in this town and in this region. He's moving by his spirit. Hallelujah. Isn't it so good? He is so good. And I just think that even this morning as we were worshiping together, just as one family in God, that there was something incredibly powerful that took place in the, uh, in the spiritual realm. The Word of God says that where two or three are gathered, my name, there I am in the midst. It kind of gives you goosebumps a little bit, doesn't it? God's here with us. He's in the midst of his people. And so I know we've already done it once, but I'm going to ask you to do it one more time. Could you please go and greet three people that you didn't come here with or that you don't know? Come on, let's just, I know we've done it. Find another three. Say hello. That would be great. Okay, that'll be great. Thanks for doing that. The real reason I did that was to take up five minutes of my preaching time. Not really. Okay, it's, um, it's a real privilege to um, be asked to speak this morning, and um, it's also a real c- kind of a comforting place to be, or comfortable place to be, because as I look out over this gathering here this morning, I just know so many, so many faces, and many of us here have grown up together in the Lord, many of us have... Uh, rub shoulders as we've journeyed in our faith. And so it's great to be amongst friends. It's great to be amongst other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've all had our moments and our struggles and our difficulties in God. And the one thing that we can say together this morning is that God has been absolutely faithful, that he has been an amazing, wonderful father. And we we thank him for that. 
So I'm going to open my message, have a quick look at the clock. I'm going to have a, open my message this morning by reading from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And I'm reading from Romans 8. And the truth that uh, Paul is bringing to the church at Rome, they are just so dynamic. They're life-changing. Paul brings revelation to the church that radically changes our perspective in this life. He brings revelation that radically changes our worldview and changes our reasoning and the way we understand and the way we live out our relationship with God. And so I'm beginning in verse 28 and it says this, and we know that in all things and everything, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We could just go home on that passage alone, couldn't we? Because we know that in all things, in everything, God is working for the good for you. His mercy and His goodness runs after us, we are told. For those God foreknew, we read in verse 29, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And the reason I asked us to greet another two or three people this morning is because for this one reason that I want us to know that those people that we greeted this morning, that person even that we sometimes pass on the street and don't have any time for, God's purpose for that person, the person beside you, the person in front of you, the person behind you, is, is to be conformed to the image of His Son. Isn't that exciting? How many of us are there yet? Mm. Oh, I've got a few hands. That's awesome. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> Verse 29 says this, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I might try that again. I'll try it over this side, see what we get. If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on now. That's just awesome, isn't it? If I can get somebody excited about that, it's, uh, it's a good thing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Right now, this minute, this second, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. How incredible is that? How can you go wrong? Oh, come on, somebody tell me this is good news. Okay, anyway. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? And then I'm reading from verse 37, and these aren't on the screen behind me. But Paul states this in verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
no power in the sky or above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Who doesn't want to know that message? And so the title of my message this morning, I'm going to have to move along, is this. It's the unfathomable, the immeasurable, the relentless love of God. There is nothing that you or I can do, nothing that we could do that could convince God at this moment to love us any more or any less than he loves us right now. There is nothing. He loved me when I was a sinner. He tracked me down. He went out of his way to track you and I down. He loves me when I am a saint. There are different consequences when I'm a sinner and there are other consequences when I'm a saint, but his love doesn't change at all. It's the same unbelievable, immeasurable, relentless love of God. I can't escape it. The psalmist said in 139, where can I go from his presence? Where can I, where can I flee from his spirit? What he's saying is where can I get away from his love? <laughs> I just can't. I've done nothing to earn it. It's not because God loves short people, I can tell you that. It's not because he likes tall people. It's not because he loves people with qualifications. It's not because he loves people without qualifications. It's simply and astoundingly and wonderfully only because this God that we serve is love. He is love. He's love. 1 John 4.16 says this, We know how much God loves us. The question I want to ask you this morning is, do you know do you really know how much God loves you? <laughs> or are you still trying to win his approval somehow? Are you still maybe thinking that God is angry with you? It says, we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Isn't that good news? You know, we can be as spiritual as we like. We can have all kinds of giftings and we can have all kinds of knowledge. Oh man, we can go to church religiously. We can know our Bibles backwards. But the Word of God says if we do not exhibit the very essence of God, if we don't exhibit love, we're nothing. The message paraphrase puts it this way. He says, if I do not have love, without love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. I was going to try to make that noise, but I can't. I you can't, but you get the message, huh? If we're not exhibiting love, we're just, we're just a rusty old guy. He says, I'm bankrupt. And so the Bible entreats us. He says, above all, above all, above all, Colossians 3.14, above all, clothe yourselves with the unfathomable, the immeasurable. Clothe yourselves with the relentless love of God, which binds us all together 
in perfect harmony. We talk a lot about church unity, don't we? And I'm so glad that's what God's doing. You know the way he's going to do it? Not by all being on the same program, but just by us actually loving one another. Really, really loving one another. To help illustrate this, I'm going to have to go real quick. The love of God this morning. I want us to consider two of the 11 men who have walked on the moon. Basically because it's the only example we have of humans going to another planet. The first was Neil Armstrong. July 20, 1969, Neil Armstrong stepped out of Apollo level, 11, <laughs> level, 11 onto, out of the lunar module onto the desolate surface of the moon and uttered these words. This is one small step for a man, but a giant step for mankind. The moon is around about 384,000 kilometers away from the earth. To put it into perspective, it's 310 kilometers from Kaitaia to Auckland. Yeah? Normally, that takes me about four hours. Anybody do it any less than that? Yeah, nobody's going to admit to that. I didn't think so. Mm. So if I was to drive to the moon at the same speed as it takes me to travel the 310 kilometers to Auckland, it would require me to drive nonstop for nearly 5,000 hours. Yeah, that's about 206 days, nearly three months of driving to get to the moon. It's a big deal, really, isn't it? You'd want to have a co-driver with you. The only good thing is that the road is probably a lot smoother than the road from Kaido to Auckland, which is just a shocker. The technology, the test pilots, the engineers, the, the three and a half million kg of thrust to, compel, to propel that rocket into space, into history, Cost over $30 billion to a land Apollo level 11. I go with that a level thing. 11 on a deserted, lonely planet. The second astronaut, and many of us may not even be, have heard of him or be aware of him, and the one that I want us to consider is Eugene Cernan. In December 1972, he became the 11th and the last person so far to walk on the moon. Eugene spent more than 73 hours on the moon's surface. But just before he was about to re-enter the Apollo 17 lunar module, Eugene dropped to one knee and he etched his nine-year-old daughter's initials into the moon's surface. And then he climbed up the stairs and he got into the Apollo and he left. Can you imagine his daughter, Tracy? She must be the only person on the earth that can look up at the moon at night and go, my initials are engraved on the surface of the moon. Imagine that. If that was me, I'd be stopping people in the street. I'd be saying, my initials are up there. And they'd be going, yeah, mate, you need help. But anyway, <laughs> you've got some issues. When Neil Armstrong was asked about his part in that first historical uh, 69 moon landing, he wisely said, the greatest event in history is not man walking on the moon. The greatest event in history is God walking on the earth. And that's what we're celebrating today, yeah? That's what we're celebrating. God stepping onto planet earth. It took huge cost and it had precision planning. Let's read it together. It's found in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. He came from verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, 
and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that amazing? They were reborn. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, somebody is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another and after another and after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed him to us. Jesus came to the very earth, the very world he created because of his unfathomable, immeasurable, relentless love that he has for humankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. A well-known whakatauki says this, He aha te mea nui o te au. He aha te mea nui o te au. We know it well. What is the most important thing in the world? Yeah, thank you. Let's do it. What is the most important thing in the world? He tangata. He tangata. He tangata. It's people. It's it's people. We need to ask ourselves the, the same question this morning. What is the most important thing in our world? It's, it's people. The reason I asked us again, even as we already did earlier, Messias, to, it, it, is because it's the person sitting beside you and in front of you and behind you and the person you work with and the person that you even avoided saying hello to this morning. Was there anybody? Mm. Come on, I know there were some of you doing that. Oh, I don't want to see them. Even that person that you were trying to avoid this morning is of such immense importance to God's heart. He has such a plan, such a purpose. Zechariah 2.8 says this, says that, uh, for this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Another translation puts it this way. It says, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. How does that feel? Yeah? How does that feel to be God's most precious possession? Come on. I'm liking it. God's most precious possession. It's you. It's you. Even if you don't know him this morning. Even if you don't know him. You're his precious possession, and he's just waiting for you to open your heart to him. Just waiting for that. Doesn't change the fact you're still the apple of his eye. You are his creation. Remember I mentioned, I'm trying to work up to a close here. Remember I mentioned Eugene Cernan, the last astronaut to walk on the moon. 
He's there for 73 hours, and as I said, he got down, he dropped to his knee, and he etched his daughter's initials into the surface of the moon. And so God sent his son to planet Earth. We know, says there, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus stepped onto the earth. He lived here for, spent about 33 years with us. And then just before he stepped back into the lunar craft, if we could just kind of keep with that metaphor, if you're all right with that, just before he returned to the Father, he did something just remarkable. He crouched down and he etched your initials. He etched my initials. He etched your neighbor's initials. He etched the initials of that person that saves you, serves you every week at Pack and Save. He etched the initials of that person that pumps your gas every week, your solicitor, your accountant, that person that we brush past in the street. He crouched down and he etched our initials, not in the soil, but he etched our initials into his very own hands. How was that? Isaiah 49 says this. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, he says, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name in the palms of my hand. Wow. Shake off any fear you might have about your future. Shake off any concerns. You're precious to him. Really quickly, really quickly. This book is probably the biggest, most intimate love letter you will ever receive. I know some of you have got some hidden away in a cardboard box somewhere, you know, from back in the day. This one isn't a Dear John letter either. This is just the biggest love letter. And the Song of Solomon says this. It's an allegory basically informing us of the love that God has for us. And he says this. He says, He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. The banner that's over you this morning is not a banner of rejection. It's not a banner of religion. It's not a banner of some kind of comparison with somebody else. It's not a banner of criticism or condemnation. It's not a banner of judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's not a banner of shame or expectations or laws. It's not a banner that says that God's disappointed with you. It's the banner. The banner over you is love. Barbara, my lovely wife told me don't harp on about the same thing all the time this morning. But I'm going to harp on. I'm sorry. The banner, sorry. I've only got one message this morning. <laughs> the banner over us is love. The banner over you, the banner over me, the banner over Kaitaia is love. Tim, Tim's going to come on up. This is what we're celebrating here today. This is what we celebrate at this time that we would call Christmas. I'm just going to close with this last passage. It's found in Ephesians, slide 21. From verse 14, it says, When I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. 
Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. And may you experience the love of Christ. And though it is too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God bless you this Christmas season. Thank you so much for the opportunity. was a young guy, um, I was sitting in the service and there was like this worship kind of time going on and, um, and this guy, this guy up the front had been talking and he sort of encouraged people in the audience, you know, if you want to have God in your life, all you need to do is just say, um, pray something like, God, I invite you into my heart, something as simple as that. And I remember I was 14 years old and I was sitting there. And, uh, and I, you know, nobody knew, and I, and I just said it in my heart, and all of a sudden, this crazy peace and joy just came over me. It was, it was really unreal, and I remember it really vividly um, as a young guy, but I, um, I just want to encourage, you know, if there's people here this morning, um, you know, while, while I'm playing this song or whatever, just, um, you don't have to have fantastic, amazing, high vocabulary kind of prayers, God just, he just wants to know you. It's just as simple as that. And whatever you've got to say to invite him, he's, he's just standing there waiting, arms open, full of love, wanting to hear whatever you want to say to him today. Life hurting, broken within, overwhelmed by the Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you drink from where Jesus is calling?
thank you we thank you that Lord uh, you're a God who loves us you're a God who wants to partner with us you're a God who wants to do miraculous things in our life Lord no matter what situation we find ourselves in we just praise you and thank you in Jesus name Amen I'm just going to hand over to Pete who's got a an amazing story of that kind of partnership and love. Uh, good morning, everyone. Man, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> I've never had to speak to this many people before, so um, you know, it's pretty nervous coming up here this morning. Um, but bless the people that actually asked me to share my testimony. Um, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, my name is Peter Campbell. About three months ago, um, I had an accident at work. I got jammed up in a cherry picker between the basket and a uh, steel frame uh, on a conveyor. I was, I was jammed so bad I lost consciousness because I couldn't breathe. The guys that found me um, say I was blue and uh, thought I was already dead. 
They proceeded to get me down by using the controls at the bottom of the cherry picker. And amazingly, I gained consciousness and I managed to take over the controls and got myself down. When I got to the bottom, the guys were looking at me um, and one of, one of my workmates, Paul Hobson, asked if, me if I wanted to phone anyone. Well, you know, when someone asks you if you want to phone someone, you know, it's pretty serious. I could tell by the looks on their faces that um, they thought I wasn't going to make it. Paul rang my wife because I couldn't use my phone, and she came down to the mill and went and straight to where I was. Um, she really looked like I wasn't going to make it. I said to her, you think I'm going to die, don't you? Um, and she said, yes. I'm so glad she didn't hold back. <laughs> I said to her that God, God has got this. Um, you see, my wife is an emergency nurse, and she has seen people get crushed before, and I was by far the worst she has ever seen. My eyes were bulging out of my head, and I had uh, burst blood vessels all over my face um, and all over my upper body. She was talking to me at one stage, and I couldn't respond to her. It was like my brain and my mouth weren't cooperating. I was saying something when she came, but she couldn't hear what I... Uh, she couldn't hear me, but when she leaned in closer, she could hear me praying hard out like, like she had never heard me pray before. Anyway, they took me off to Kaitaia Hospital and did an x-ray on my back, and they told me I had a suspected broken vertebrae in my back. Because of the severity of my accident, they sent me to Whangarei Hospital. By now, there were so many people praying for me in when I was in Whangarei. Um, when I got down there, they did an MRI on my back and, and head, and it came up clear, no broken vertebrae. So they, so they, um, they sent me back in this, into the same machine, this time checking for internal bleeding, and that came up clear. They checked my kidneys um, because there's so much pressure on my back, just, um, and they came up clear. All the tests they ran to um, came back clear. The next morning, all the doctors were standing there looking like the, there should be something seriously wrong with me. <laughs> so they, they brought in a person who normally works Monday to Friday to test my brain. Uh, <laughs> I think there's nothing wrong with me, but only you guys would be able to tell that. <laughs> because I was unconscious and not being able to breathe, they were concerned of brain damage because of lack of oxygen. Um, that came back clear and they let me come home. I just want to finish off by saying, um, a month before my accident, I was in Auckland at a church conference, Manifest Presence, some of you might have attended, and Michael Maiden spoke into my life about my future in God. You see, God had it all along. His promises are yes and amen, and he and has kept his promise to me um, to come here um, with, after something like this and stand here in front of you and have no lasting effects from this accident is nothing short of a miracle. I'm only here because of our awesome Father. Thank you and God bless you all.